welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the head of the abuse team at Hugh James. In this podcast, I am delighted to introduce to you our guest, Justin Levinson, who is a barrister at One Crown Office Row. Thank you, Justin, for joining us for this podcast. It's much appreciated. Before we launch into the podcast, I'm required to give a health warning. These podcasts often cover very sensitive, delicate matters, which can be distressing to listen to because of the subject matter. So if you think you may be upset by one of these podcasts or this particular podcast, now's the time to tune out and go off and make a cup of tea. These podcasts, as you know, are brought by the abuse team and we try and focus on something topical, something that may have been of some interest to our listeners. And we thought that it'd be useful to have Justin Lemson on in this podcast to talk about a recently reported case. And this case concerns a former DJ, a BBC Radio 1 DJ, who has been successfully prosecuted for child sex offences. That's the introduction. So back to Justin, and thank you very much for joining us to this podcast. No, thanks for thanks for having me, Alan. So we thought this would be quite an interesting story to to talk about. So Mr. Page, as you say, he was a, a former DJ some some years ago, and he was recently convicted in the Crown Court here in the UK of sexual offences committed against children in the Philippines. And it seems what, what he had been doing was he was engaging in sexual activity with children in the Philippines via a webcam service. So he was chatting to children out in the Philippines and watching them take their clothes off, or uh, I don't know what the details haven't been published. And so that was one part of his offending. The other part was it seems that he had actually travelled out to the Philippines and met with children out there and engaged in some sort of improper activity with them. And what was interesting about the case from a, uh, a legal perspective was firstly, it was a, an example of the UK prosecuting authorities exercising their, their long-reach jurisdiction and prosecuting somebody who was in the UK for offences committed abroad. And normally, people are only liable to be prosecuted by the prosecuting authorities for the jurisdiction in which the offence was committed. But there are some exceptions to that. And one exception is these sort of sexual offences where the British police will prosecute offenders in the UK for offences committed abroad. So that's the sort of the interesting criminal aspect. But the, the interesting civil aspect would be the potential for the victims in the Philippines to bring a compensation claim against Mr. Page here in the United Kingdom for the torts that he committed against them. And of course, what is interesting about this particular case, if we break it down, is the fact that the victims are on the other side of the world, literally, yet 
they have been able to use the legal mechanism here in the UK in order to see Page successfully prosecuted. And so that sends a, a message both to abusers and those intent on abusing children. The English law has a, a long arm. It can reach literally around the world. And then secondly, from a victim perspective, it demonstrates that they are not powerless, that the law is there to empower them. But of course, it requires effort and information and knowledge to enable them to be empowered. You, of course, have some pedigree in this particular area because you successfully brought the Slade case, again, ironically, in respect of child abuse in the Philippines. Slade was a a convicted child abuser serving uh, a prison sentence here in the UK for sex offences he'd committed here and had been brought literally back from the Philippines to be prosecuted here. And perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your role in the Slade case and how you were able to successfully represent his victims, because that would then provide perhaps a backdrop to explain a bit more about Page. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we worked together on on, on the case, of course, Alan. So as you say, um, Mr. Slade was um, serving a prison sentence here in the UK for offences that he had committed in the UK many years ago. And after he committed those offences, but before he was brought to justice for them, he had spent some years living in the Philippines and had engaged in sexual abuse of children out there in, in the Philippines. And uh, we, we represented five young boys, or I think a couple of them were, were young adults now, who had been victims of these offences committed by Slade out in the Philippines, and we represented them in proceedings in the High Court here in, in England, where they uh, brought a compensation claim for the personal injuries inflicted on them by Mr. Slade against him, and uh, recovered compensation from him and the judge ordered him to pay compensation to each of his victims that ranged between, I think, 20 and, and 35,000 pounds. So they're quite significant sums involved. But I think what we found from those young men, the victims of him, was that, that they were very much empowered by the fact that people in the, the West were taking their problems seriously. There was a huge imbalance between them and, and Mr. Slade. He had paid them very modest sums of money by British standards to engage in these sexual activities. It was a, a few pounds, I think. But those few pounds were equivalent to their family's income for a day working in local factories. And so it's very, very distorting. And um, they, they felt that because he was a powerful, rich, they felt foreigner, that there was such an imbalance between them that they would never be taken seriously in the Philippines or, or, or much less in somewhere like the UK. I think they were greatly empowered to be taken seriously and to get a, a fair hearing before a, a British judge in the High Court in, in London where they were very much on an equal fitting and footing and came out as the, the victors. Yes, and of course it demonstrated that with effort, I know um, it's easy for me to sit here and say it, but you know we did literally have to get off our backsides and go to the Philippines to see these people in their own environment and to understand what had happened to them, to get their evidence and then bring it back to the UK to enable Slade to be pursued. 
And then, of course, we had the logistical setup of having to get the boys and the young men to give evidence from the Philippines in front of the High Court judge in London. So I think the case demonstrates that despite the logistical challenges, it can be done. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, we, we spoke to, to these guys, they spoke, you know, they spoke good English, but it wasn't good enough really to talk about these uh, delicate matters or, or to give evidence. And so we needed to use uh, interpreters so that they could give their evidence in, in, in their own language to Carlo. But it wasn't just the, the, the language difficulties, it was also a question of um, making them feel at, at ease and able to, to tell their story in a way that it would be sympathetically uh, re- received. And, and I think we, you know, we, we achieved that. And um, you know, we also got them some, some compensation that I think probably will you know, really help them on their way. Yes, exactly. And, that, and people often lose sight of the fact that a criminal conviction is often only part of the story. You know, the criminal proceedings are really about the offender. You know, the state bringing a case against the offender, the, you know, the victims are witnesses. It's not exactly their case. And so a successful prosecution is only part of the journey. It's only part of the story. And to try and achieve some semblance of justice, you have to have true accountability. And it's not just the state successfully prosecuting the offender, but also getting that offender to account to you, the victim. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, both sides of it are important because I think a lot of these perpetrators feel that they can go to developing countries and behave in a way that they would not behave in the UK, get get on a plane back to the UK and feel they're, they're leaving it all, all behind them. And then it's uh, um, very much a shock when they're held to account in, in the UK. But as you say, it's also important for the victims to feel they're taken seriously, that they're believed to get some money to pay for the treatment, because I think we found that whereas lots of things were, were much, much cheaper in the Philippines and earnings were very low, access to quality therapy or other treatment modes was was really comparable to the cost that would be in the West. So, you know, but it was going to be beyond the reach of, of many of these guys to to access quality therapy without getting the compensation that we were able to to achieve for them. Exactly. And what is often overlooked is the fact that English courts can have jurisdiction in respect of these cases committed thousands of miles away. The High Court ruled that it had jurisdiction to try Slade, given that, you know, the abuse had happened out in the Philippines. And again, the same issue would arise potentially in the Page case. But Page, as far as I'm aware, is a, is a British national. He's in the English jurisdiction. And so his victims, if they wanted, be able to say to an English court, you've got jurisdiction. I want to pursue a case against Page. Um, and that would be feasible, be perfectly possible. Absolutely. And very complicated rules about, about jurisdiction. But... It certainly can be possible in some cases, and you know it was possible in the slave case, and, and it may well be possible in the in, in the page case too. Yes, and sometimes we have the reverse situation, don't we, where the offender has actually been prosecuted in the country where the abuse has happened, and one way or the other, they found their way back to the UK either voluntarily or deported, as often the case. But again, that does not preclude a victim necessarily out in the Far East or wherever it happens to be, pursuing their abuser in the English High Court. 
Absolutely. And they, they might bring a claim against the abuser or, or they might be able to bring a, a claim against an organization that, that employed the abuser. So we had cases in Uganda, didn't we, where somebody working for a religious organization, uh, a charitable foundation was abusing people in, in Uganda. And they brought proceedings in, in England against uh, the organization that um, this, this abuser was working for. Yeah, we had a very successful case, again, where, with a large group of people who had been abused in, again, the Philippines, but also, I think it was Malaya. They had been taken off to children's homes in remote parts of the um, world where they had been allegedly abused. Um, that was their case. But again, we were able to successfully pursue cases for them. And these victims, they lived all, lived all over the world. Uh, absolutely. So it, it absolutely can be done. And really, it, it's all dependent on there being a, a connection with the UK and us being able to show that the UK is an appropriate forum for the case to be heard. Yes. And again, you know, there's, you know, if we go back over our history, so to speak, of cases, you know, there was the Jimmy Savile litigation, of course, and many of his victims were scattered all over the world, and they yes. were able to bring their own cases. It's about analysing carefully the allegations, who's involved, whether the claim is against the abuser alone, or whether it's against the abuser and an organisation, or against an organisation. So that's why it's very necessary to get the right specialist legal advice at the right time so that an informed decision can be made as to you know whether the case is viable and one that ought to be pursued absolutely and you know it may be that that the claim would be against the actual perpetrator or, or it may be um you know as we said it, it would be against an organization that is, is somehow responsible for him and that, that organization might have place of business in, in a number of different places around the world, and England might just be, be one of those. What victims and those representing victims need to be conscious of, there are often time limits for bringing cases, and sometimes an English court will have to apply a time limit, a limitation period of the country where the abuse happened or the alleged abuse happened, and that can be sometimes generous, sometimes it can be very restrictive. And so what people mustn't do is sit on their hands sit and wait. Absolutely. They, they, they should get advice as soon as they feel able to do that and um, one can then see what the appropriate legal framework is. Yes. And I think it'd be useful to remember that you, you mentioned the cases that we had in Uganda, but then the, the, you know, the young people concerned getting what they needed was actually for them life-changing because I can remember I think one particular young person, he hadn't, he had not received the education that he should have received. And so he was very much literally at the bottom end of the labor market. But the redress, the compensation that he received enabled him to open up his own tiny little garage repairing motorbikes, I think, or mopeds. That's right. It was those yeah. motorbike taxis they, they used out yeah. there, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, which was transforming for him. And um, for him, that is what justice was all about. And I think we need to be conscious of not imposing our own ideas and conception of justice, but actually listening to you know the, the victims and understanding what justice for them 
might actually look like. Yes, and, and of course, it's also about providing some recompense for people who have worked with and, and supported the, the victims. So very often there, there'll be a, a charitable foundation that are, is working with the victims of child sexual exploitation and, and supporting them and providing them with some, some counselling, education, other services. And sometimes they'll be incurring costs in, in doing that, and those costs can be uh, recovered from the, the perpetrator or the person responsible for the for the perpetrator, and, and, and rightly so. Thank you, Justin. I hope this podcast has been of interest to our listeners. And so thank you very much, Justin, for taking the time to talk to us. Much appreciated. As always, thank you very much for those out there joining this podcast. Much appreciated. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.